Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? Comics and Pop Culture Podcast, coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. Today, Graham McMillan and I continue our December run by hitting a technical icy patch, leaving an almost two-hour podcast in our wake, as well as a discussion covering Batman 36, Justice League 34, the first issues of Fence, John Wick, and Ninja K., the sixth issue of Rock Candy Mountain by Kyle Starks, the 2017-2000 AD Christmas special, and a truly amazing recounting of the invasion of the Deathless Brain from World's Finest 251 by Bob Haney, George Tusca, and Vince Coletta. Comments on this episode are available at waitwhatpodcast.com. Send us your comments and questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy... Happy holidays, and thank you for listening. Jeff Lester! Graham McMillan, hello. Hello. I feel like when you go, Graham, there should be like a drum roll. McMillan! Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That way we should definitely do that. For for the new year, for 2018, That's right. we should add a drum roll. That's right. You should just get a drummer in, in the room with you when you're a guard. Yes, Graham. Yes, I should. Because if there's one thing that the people who listen to us and support us on Patreon are going to want, it's going to be more services and immediately. So, Jeff, why would you say that? (laughs) Graham, I'm so glad you asked. Uh, Uh, It's almost like we haven't just been talking about this for recording. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, So, so do, do you, do you, Grant, no, do you, you want to tell oh, the whatnots oh, that mommy and daddy it, it, aren't going to be living under the same roof anymore? Uh, that what? Wow, that got really weirdly dark very quickly. <laughs> uh, whatnots? This is the last ever episode of Wait What? No, no, Graham. Not, no, not that. Not, not that message. The other one. <laughs> no, you're you're handling. No, you came up with the best way of saying this, and I can't even remember it. So you you should do it. Oh shit! Really? Because I don't remember it either. <laughs> All right. Uh, go. Okay. You can do it. So, hello, whatnots, and uh, uh, particularly Jermaine, for uh, purposes of this um, conversation, our patronots. Uh, we just recently learned, uh, as the, the pretty much the day before we recorded this, that Patreon uh, announced to the creators on Patreon. Yes, uh, yesterday and then to everyone else today that they are making a uh, relatively dramatic change to their payment structure. Previously, um, there was a lot of behind the scenes action that happened when you, when patrons pledged their Patreon dollars to us. And the, the big thing is basically, uh, Patreon took, uh, 5% out of the cash that was pledged to us. And then there was a bunch of money that ended up being um, uh, taken out for more or less credit card processing fees. Uh, the credit card processing fees, the way they traditionally happen is, is that there's usually a per, tr- per flat um, transaction amount plus a usual percentage fee thrown in on top. And, uh, one of the things that we've done, um, and other, I guess, uh, p- 
creators, content creators who, who have gone with Patreon have done is, you know, you create your rewards and tier levels. Part of the reason why, you know, you try and be so alluring and attractive that, um, that people go for the extra perks and pay a little bit more per month is that the amount of money that is taken out behind the scenes is significant enough that we see more money more of the money from, say, a $5 pledge or a $10 pledge than we do for a $1 pledge, in part because that flat transaction fee is a chunk. So I don't, don't quite remember how it breaks down, but let's say out of the buck that you pledge, you know, Patreon takes its nickel and then, uh, and then out of the remaining amount, there's the processing fee, which ends up being, I don't know, I, I want to say something like, 20 to 30 cents. So, uh, which is less of a dent, of course, the higher up you go. All of this was delightfully invisible to you and led to all kinds of interesting rubrics through, um, Patreon, uh, our years of being with Patreon. So for example, um, our, our plan to give back 10% to other creators of the money that we pledge, which is uh, that we get from everyone, uh, has been great. And we've been really happy to do that and support some really tremendous creators over the years and still are. Um, there was always the weird behind the scenes hassle of like, here's how much money was being pledged to us. Here's how much money we actually took in. We chose to give 10% off of the, gross rat no the net rather than the gross i i can't tell you guys how much my life would have been different if i could have just been able to track the difference between what the gross is and what the net is i i never happens patron patron announced that what they were doing is they were no longer going to make that an invisible behind the scenes thing and they were going to turn around and um pass on the headache to you, our patrons. So now everyone for each dollar pledge that you pledge to us, there is going to be an additional fee that is charged on top of that, that is going to cover the charges that previously were taken behind the scenes. Purely my understanding is, is to handle the money, um, the, the credit card fees and transactions. There's a lot to dislike about this plan. Um, part of what made life very easy for Graham and I was that um, even though Patreon were kind of just between you and me kind of dicks about the way that they presented their accounting behind the scenes and every month there was a certain amount of me tearing my beard hair and having to go through and reconcile the amounts that they said we'd gotten and then the amounts that they would actually pass along to us there were advantages to the system when they collected the money from you know from everyone they would turn around and then take the ten per, the money that we'd pledged to other creators out and pass that along, and it was all um, pretty smooth and easy. So now you're going to be charged more. We're going to be charged more for our support of um, uh, other uh, creators on Patreon. Um, and nobody's happy about it. We are really, as we've said, as I say, you know, in my droning voice at the end of, of every episode, we're incredibly, um, inspired and heartened by 
the support that we receive on Patreon. Um, it really, it does. It means a lot to us. It, it supports us. Unfortunately, we, um, we're busy, absurd, insane, crazy people. So we never really did the amazing dog and pony show of giving reoccurring gifts and love to the people that give stuff to us. And honestly, you guys have always been super supportive. Whenever we've heard about things, people are like, you know what? I just want to give you money because you've given us hours of entertainment and I don't really need additional rewards. We're incredible. And that is even uh, uh, more of a kind of um, really in- deeply moving thing. Um, you know, it's it's really tough without like shaving my eyebrows and getting all Amanda Plummerish about it. But oh no, wait, no, is it Amanda a- Palmer? Thank you. I was like, God <laughs> damn it, Neil Gaiman, why didn't you marry Amanda Plummer? She's you know she she's got it all. She can act. She's been in a Tarantino movie. She's histrionic. Anyway, I don't want to get all Amanda Palmerish about it right now. Although it, for those who are wondering, I am indeed naked while we record this uh, episode. Uh, but that's you always are. Uh, yeah, true, but th- this is different. This is, this is a little bit different because, you know, it's the holidays. So I've got strategically <laughs> placed mistletoe. Tinsel. Yeah, exactly. Oh, tinsel. Mistletoe. Yeah. See, sometimes mistletoe is creepier. Isn't it? I, it, I really appreciated the fact that you felt like, Jeff, Jeff, you're going to have to up the creepy ante here. No one's really, everyone's pretty much convinced that you're naked all the time when you record it anyway. So. Where was I saying? Oh yeah, not to get all Amanda Palmerish about it, but there is something that is incredibly heartening about uh more or less asking for uh support and attention and getting it. And it's incredibly moving to us um and uh and helpful in ways that I think is difficult for us to process. All of that said, we want to make sure that you the listener are aware that if you cannot handle the transition in um, the payment structure, uh, please do not worry. Feel f- do not worry about us. I should say, do whatever you've got to do. Um, we're incredibly, incredibly, truly grateful to everyone that you know. There, I I'm shocked and touched by. People who have been quietly supporting us for years. Um, it means, it, it means a tremendous amount, but because you really do mean a lot to us, is you, if you look on, if you have any presence on Twitter or Tumblr, you will hear and see stories about people who pay the rent because of, uh, Patreon, people who can actually, you know, pay their medical bills or keep the food coming in while they pursue the, the freelancer uh, lifestyle or even just honestly a lifestyle, which is um, pretty challenging here uh, in uh, parts of the world these days. I'm happy to report that, that Graham, uh, thanks to being absolutely the hardest working person in the world and me, who through an amazing process of attrition has managed to um, uh, um, float upwards like one of Pennywise's balloons into the uh, upper echelons of where I work, we're going to be okay. So if, if the patron 
Patreon changes are problematic. Please do not worry about us. Do what is best for you. If this does end up being a thing that Patreon uh, continues to do, honestly, my hope is, is that there will be other platforms that will look at this and will come up with other um, patterns and processes to, to recreate what we're doing here. And maybe at that point, we'll keep podcasting, but we'll move to another platform. I'm, I'm not entirely sure. Um, you know, the thing that is to me most upsetting is, is that as uh, some of you may have seen me grouch and bitch on Twitter, I think that when we signed up with Patreon, we did it after having talked to some of the people at the company and being assured that they were very driven to make sure that the people, um, the, that the people who got support via Patreon, like they, would have the tools to be able to grow and maintain um, their creative uh, endeavors and presence. And honestly, I've, like I said, the, the month in and month out for several years of trying to understand why I have to go to four different screens just to understand why we got paid the amount of money that we did or the fact that despite having been with them for years now, Patreon will not send an invoice explaining that, but, but allows me to jump through any one of, um, terribly generated WordPress templates is something that clearly I'm a little, uh, what is the word? Um, uh, agitas about a little aggravated about. So no, agitas go with agitas, go with agitas. I got, I got such agitas. So anyway, uh, I think we should go back to talking to Graham because Graham, of course, has a lovely mellifluous <laughs> voice. But I hope no, that you... I, I'm so glad that you handled that because honestly, if you'd left that up to me, I wouldn't have said half of that stuff. <laughs> yes, well... I, I wouldn't have like explained anything. I would have just been like, Patreon, I've made some really bad changes. Yeah, right. <laughs> and if you guys are feeling put out by this, we are perfectly okay yeah. if you decide that you can't support Patreon anymore because... I between you, me, and the whatnots, we had a conversation before we started recording about whether we could support Patreon anymore doing this. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we're still in the process of, of figuring that out and, and working those things out, and we expect you to, too. Just know that, A, we love you guys, and B, for better or for worse, we're not going to stop doing what we're doing. So... I think, I think there's either something incredibly laudable about that or uniquely terribly sad. So. I, I think we're somewhere in the middle. <laughs> I think we're laudably sad. Laudably sad. You know what? It's a shame. I was really sure just a few minutes ago that my epitaph should have read, here lies Jeff Lester. I wouldn't have said half the things that he said. And uh, now I'm thinking, <laughs> here lies Jeff Lester, laudably sad. So I don't know. It's it's pretty good. I told you what I what I wanted as my my actual epitaph, right? I know we've talked about this before, but I can't remember. <laughs> I really don't think you have. Oh my god! I I I told Edie. I'm very insistent that I <laughs> on my tombstone. What I, what I want is here lies Jeff Lester, and then in quotes, "How's my driving?" <laughs> <laughs> I love the idea of how's my driving as a tombstone. No, so because it's no. a, it's evocative. No. It's evocative no. in no. so many ways. No. 
No. No, I no, I'm not included. No, I'm vetoing that idea. Really? Oh. Yeah, because how's my driving, Jeff? I just don't put that with you at all. Well, like that's that's not something I like. That feels like you're just like, hey, why don't I have Make America Great Again as my epitaph? No, I'm no, Ixney. <laughs> I want you to have no. I want something. Uh, I want the gods. What's the the opening of the the Batman Brave and Bold issue with the Teen Titans where it ends with Batman takes the day? Oh yeah, right, 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 right. That's the one. That's the one that you should have. Yeah, no, see, cause, so here's the thing, I, I see your point, but honestly, I'm not down with having anything that's kind of personally applicable. In fact, I think I might have said something to you, like, do not, like, don't go for a theme, don't have a Batman-themed funeral, for Christ's sakes, don't do anything like that, you know, it's like, I'm just kind of like, I, I feel that when I'm dead, I'm going to be forgotten, you know, of course eventually but let's face it relatively quickly so within two or First three all, days so no yeah. you're you're i'm not even listening to this pessimism i'm going to distract you because i just looked up the opening yes and i'm going to tell you what it should be based on this opening are you ready uh-huh spring pokes long green fingers along one of gotham city's <laughs> poshest avenues one april day as batman thinks sheer music Winter's over and pretty girls are blossoming like flowers. Delicious. <laughs> Delicious. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Bob Haney, Delicious. we love you so much. I wonder what it says on Bob Haney's tombstone. Hopefully that. I know, right? God. it's. I'm shocked there's not a service that, that allows you to look up people's tombstones. Honestly, it probably is, but they charge through the ass for it. But... But I would love that because I seriously, if someone could tell me right now what Bob Haney's tombstone was, like show me a picture of it right now, I would, I would be so happy. Because it probably doesn't. It probably does not say "Here lies Bob Haney." It'd be great if it was like "Here lies Bob Haney," and we see the picture, and it's like, "How's my driving?" And I'm like, "Son of a bitch, he stole it!" <laughs> right? Can anyone Photoshop that for Jeff right now? Haney. So, uh, oh my God, Jeff! What? There's a website called findagrave.com. Oh my god. I would have thought there would be such a thing. I can't Robert believe... Lee Haney. No, that can't be right though, because he, he died in 1967. When did Bob Haney die? Uh, relatively recently. Like he, like, I want to say, well, because he, he was around, a, didn't he write that Super Sons, uh, script, or was that an unpublished Super Sons script? No, he, I think he. I think that was. Hang on, now we're gonna have to look up when Bob Haney died. I, I think he was alive through two thousand four. Robert, two thousand four November. Yeah, Bob Haney. Yeah. So, yeah. oh my God, Man. I don't think I've ever seen a picture of him. He. I don't know if you saw this picture where it's no, like I, Bob I, Haney, I saw American writer. Oh my Jeff, God! Yes. Let me let me tell you then about my special treat for you. <laughs> All right. And for the whatnots. Yes. Everyone, it's the holiday season. And part of the holiday season is sharing happiness with the ones you love. As Jeff pointed out, we love all of you, and and we all love Jeff. I think we can all agree. <laughs> I told you last week that, um, or I say last week, we're recording like five days after the, we recorded the last yeah. podcast. Yeah. Um, but I told you that I got, I went to the Frankenstein's Comics uh, swap, and I got a shitload of Justice Leagues. Yes. I think I also told you, I'm not sure if I told the whatnots, I also got some back issues of World's Finest. Oh no, you did not tell me this. Did you tell me this? I, 
I did not know. Oh, the dollar Bob. issues. You got the dollar yes. issues. Yeah, you did tell me. I did me. not know that Bob Haney wrote the, the lead feature in those. Yeah. Yeah. So, World's Finest issue 251. I'm going to explain the cover to you, and you're going to say, oh, I totally understand why you got got that. And then I'm going to go through the plot of this comic, and you're going to lose your shit. Oh, because man. it might be the ultimate Bob Haney comic. Oh, my God. I don't think I can handle it. The cover is Superman wrestling with a green sea monster, except the sea is flames. Mm-hmm. And Superman is yelling, get back, Batman. I can't stop it. And Batman is just standing there saying, let it come, Superman. I'm the one it's after. Underneath that, it says, The Invasion of the Deathless Brain. Oh, see, there you go. There you go. Are are you not already into this? I'm totally into it. Who did the cover? Is it like Kurt Schaffenberger or something like that? Oh, Jim Jim Apparel. Oh, even better. So it looks great. I'll I'll send you you a a scan of this so you'll understand. The issue was written by Bob Haney, or the story, because it's got a bunch of stories. Yes. Uh, the story is written by Bob Haney. Pencils by George Tusca. Inks by Vince Coletta. Mm. So we're talking prime stuff. <laughs> seriously, I think George Tusca is great. In my in my later life, I have this amazing appreciation for George Tusca now. Mm. Mm-hmm. In all seriousness. Yes. Uh, Superman and Batman, Invasion of the Deathless Brain. That is actually the title of the story. Mm-hmm. It's not spoiling anything to tell you that it really is about a brain that didn't die. <laughs> Alibaba's cave, the elephant's graveyard, Marilyn's lair, the lab of Dr. Faustus, legendary secret places all, but the most fabulous refuge of all time you're in right now, the Fortress of Solitude, as the world's two greatest superheroes treads its vastness with measured step. When your opening caption says that, you know you're in for some fucking great stuff. For sure. Although, did you say Marilyn's Lair? I'm, I, that's my accent. <laughs> Marilyn, you may have heard of him. He's a wizard. Oh, thank you. <laughs> right. Sorry about that. How's it, we've been doing this podcast for years. How's it taken you that long to get tripped up by me saying something weird? Seriously, it almost never happens, and and that was part of why I called the the podcast. Wait, what? But I really was. I was like Marilyn Monroe. Like I really had no idea. Thank you, thank you very much, Graham, and I apologize for being so. Um, uh, I no that that just makes it all the better. <laughs> okay. Yes. It starts off with Superman and Batman. Sure enough, just wandering around. The, the Fortress of Solitude, because of course they are. Of course they are, yeah. Uh, Superman has brought Batman there because he's about to, quote, jetson some of the kryptonite that's been recently fallen back to Earth into the disintegration pit. <laughs> what that means is they get into a digger and lower a chunk of kryptonite that honestly looks bigger than Superman. <laughs> like a fucking meteorite of kryptonite into the disintegration pit, which has a big sign on it saying, Danger! Disintegration pits. Yes, exactly. It's amazing. But as the remnant of the long dead home planet of Superman hits the seething liquids, and then there's an explosion that takes up a page and a half. A page and a half. Oh, that's a good a sign. Page and a half explosion. Yeah. Again, George Tusker. Yeah. As the silence rushes back into the nooks and crannies of the huge lair, Batman and Superman wake up, and they discover after checking the supercomputer 
that, you know, something might have happened. It's spontaneous combustion. Nothing's gone wrong, though. And Batman says, everything checks in. This, hey, looks as if the force of this explosion knocked your date indicator two days ahead. I always remember March 15th. It's now reading March 17th. I remember March 15th. I make sure I send a birthday card to my friend Bob Haney. The old scribbler was born on the 8th of March. No. The Ned's panel. Oh, right. Is Bob still claiming to be 39? There, I've turned it back. Let's go. I'll drop you off in Gotham City. Now, if any other writer was writing that scene, mm-hmm. they would not work in a reference to their birthday. <laughs> they would not have themselves be Batman's friend. Yep. And that scene would have something to do with the rest of the story and be foreshadowing. Spoilers, it has fuck all to do with Oh the no, scene. you're shooting me. Like There is no reason for that scene to be in there. There's nothing about them jumping forward two days. There's nothing about March fifteenth for the rest of the story. Holy Not shit. Wow. There's two pounds spent on it and it has nothing to do with anything. Okay, so has the um the what the explosion did you say it because I didn't follow this part. The explosion was apparently unexpected and knocked Batman and Superman out, right? Because you mentioned them waking up? Yes. Okay. Well, no, it didn't even knock them out. It just knocked them onto the ground. Oh, knocked them off the ground. Okay, great. Okay. Wow. Wow. So this is basically how many pages of padding, essentially, complete we're with now, reference We're now bombs. on page four. Okay. Okay? Yep. Uh, they decide that they have to go back to civilization. As they go back to civilization... <laughs> This, this, this is amazing. Uh, you see in the wreckage of the Fortress of Solitude explosion, something is happening. There is like a green blob, which is now smoldering. Mm-hmm. Then cuts to Clark Kent about to go on air when Morgan Edge tells him that he's wearing a white suit and therefore he can't be on television. He says, it looks like an ice cream parlor soda jerk. Get off camera. <laughs> cuts to Clark thinking. I could have sworn I put on my green suit, but I guess I'm getting absent-minded. <laughs> Again, you're like, this right. is a poppy and you go, like, is this important? Yeah. <laughs> or is this like a random thing? Right, right. Cut to Batman and Commissioner Gordon taking down some criminals who were stealing money from the bank by literally like just making a hole in the sewers, <laughs> going into the bank and then just taking the money as, as, like, as, as notes, not even in a bike. <laughs> and they get interrupted by Batman. Ah, There's the a fight. cookie jar Batman, bandit. Batman then puts all the money, uh, in a safe place, which is a bag, and it cuts <laughs> to their, their trial. And in the trial, Commissioner Gordon says they have half a million dollars in that satchel, and when they open it up, all the banknotes are white. What? And they get away with it. Wait. Because there's insufficient evidence. Cause, cause it's, cause it's actually said by one of the lawyers, exactly, United States currency is green by law, so they didn't steal anything. Bobby is a genius. A genius. Commissioner Gordon says, how in Hades did this boodle get this way, Batman? It was in your care. If I knew that, Commissioner, those hyenas wouldn't be walking out. Free, he says. Beautiful. Boodle. Cut to the, the Fortress of Solitude where, I shit you not, a nude Superman, and you almost see his ass, <laughs> is, is staring at his costume, which <laughs> lies, cause his costume is radioactive. <laughs> discovered. 
his costume radioactivity is what turned his green suit white. And it's a side effect of the green kryptonite explosion in the disintegration pit. Oh my god. He then decides, that's okay, I'm going to take it to the sun to wash the radiation off. (laughs) He then comes back and discovers that someone has been in the Fortress of Solitude. Is that the end of chapter one? Yes, that, as they say, is the grabber. Grab onto part two. Net! (laughs) Chapter two, JF. It's called The Batman's Fatal Error. I just want to tell you, we're only on page eight of this comic. <laughs> oh my god. How, wait, how, oh, well, then never mind. Don't, don't spoil it's, it. For it's, me. it's 20 pages. It's 20 Jesus. pages. Jesus. Okay. Cut to, again, a naked Bruce Wayne, <laughs> who is also analyzing his costume and discovering it's radioactive. I love that both characters are like, gotta analyze my costume, not gonna put on any other clothes, gonna do this naked. Gotta do it naked. Definitely working. Who because knew? Martin, Who I'm knew how well this tied into the earlier part of the podcast where I talked about being naked? This is brilliant. If only I'd read this story, I could have claimed radiation. Ah, uh, well. No question. My costume is giving off some odd radiation. That must be what pulled the green from that cash, says Batman, because, of course, that's a logical explanation to yeah, make. Right, right, right. But what could have caused it, says Batman, still naked, as he stares at a jar that says, I shit you not, brain of George Gorilla Boss Dyke. <laughs> Wait one second, thinks Batman. That liquid around the dead brain of Boss Dyke. It was clear, but now it's green. There there couldn't be a connection. He then looks on his surveillance video camera where the brain of Boss Dyke is having a conversation in a nonsense language with a disembodied voice. And then the liquid turns green. Are you excited? I, my mind is blown. Also, part of me is like, I really wish I'd read, finished reading that first priest issue of Justice League, because I see some uncanny parallels so far, so. <laughs> Boss Dyke was executed years ago, thinks Batman in a flashback. And do you want to know Boss Dyke's amazing origin? Of course. <laughs> This is our flashback to a real comic, it turns out. Mm. He was executed, but before his brain was dead, his brain was transferred into a gorilla. Oh. Which, that was his plan all along. <laughs> right? His plan was to get killed and get his brain transferred into a gorilla. Yeah, yeah. And then the gorilla would go after Batman, and then the gorilla fell to his death. Huh. Batman discovers while staring at the brain that the brain, which was crushed because again the gorilla fell to his death right is now healed batman decides there's only one thing that he can do take the brain which he's now convinced is alive to the fortress of solitude and throw it into the disintegration pit <laughs> okay all it's right yeah. the greatest comic ever i'm just i mean if you think about it it really is that idea of like what kind of ghoul is Batman? You know what I mean? Like, that guy had some crazy hoarding issues. You know, it's like, oh, there's a dead gorilla boss. I need something for the Batcave next to the goddamn penny head. Uh, put the crushed crush brain in a jar. Yeah, the crushed gorilla yeah. brain in a jar. That'd be awesome. In a jar? Yeah, why not? That actually says, um, brain of gorilla, of George Gorilla Boss Take. Yeah. Also, George Gorilla Boss Dyke. Mm-hmm. I love everything about that. Yeah, it is pretty great. 
Totally. Uh, Batman flies to the, the Fortress of Solitude where he reveals, and again, this is something that is so dumb that I love, that through a process that literally makes no sense, even though you see it, he could use the giant key to unlock the Fortress of Solitude himself. What? No, that's the whole point of the giant key. Like, what's he Superman doing? Off somewhere, he says, but I can lift and insert the key this way, he thinks, while in his plane, but it doesn't show how it happened. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. That probably just, makes sense. Bob Haney may have included an instruction, but George Tusco was like, I literally don't understand what he's saying. I'm just going to do a close-up on Batman for this. So No, there's not a close-up of Batman. It's a long shot. It's a long shot of the Batplane and the fortress yes. and the key going yes, into the fortress. Yes, and the key to the Yeah. Wow. Okay, I got to admit, well played, Bob, Bob, George Tusco. Well played. <laughs> Batman is, is uh, preparing to throw this, uh, the brain into the disintegration pit when Superman flies following the radiation of his costume back to Earth, discovers it leads him to the Batcave where Batman, quote-unquote, accidentally left his monitor on where Superman sees Batman looking at the brain, which is still talking in an alien language, and then, for no reason thinks, incredible, Batman, he's gone to my fortress to destroy the brain. It's it's the most disastrous thing he could do. How did Superman get there? God knows. He's literally just looking at a video of Batman looking at a brain. And the first thing he thinks is, he's gone to my fortress to destroy it. No. Yeah. But Batman, why has Batman gone to the fortress to destroy it? It's a brain. Yeah. Well, it's a there radioactive are, brain. But still, there are multiple ways Batman could destroy this brain himself. Dude, Not no. without having to go to, is it the Arctic, the Fortress of Solitude is in? Yeah, I think so. As opposed to the Antarctic. I think it's the Arctic. Yeah, anyway, Superman flies out in an amazingly dramatic shot saying, I can reach the Fortress in a split instant, but will I be in time? No! <laughs> this caption actually says, and the split instant later, and literally Superman is going, Batman, stop! As Batman appears to accidentally drop the brain into the pit. <laughs> Because he's literally going, huh? And he's it. <laughs> what do you think happens when Batman drops the brain into the disintegration pit? Um, uh, is there another explosion? <laughs> kind of. It turns into a giant alien squid. Oh, of course. My next guess. What? Too late. Great Krypton, says Superman. And Batman says, blazes. <laughs> You've really done it, Batman, says Superman, who's really helpful. Yeah. Doing the one terrible thing the brain wanted, joined it to that thing, giving it the ability to think and maneuver. And the giant alien squid says, exactly, now I prowl again, but this time it'll be no small-time cops and robbers stuff. The whole world is going to know my name. That's that voice. It's Boss Dyke, says Batman. Man. Is this not the greatest thing ever? It's so... Wait, I forget. Did you say that it was George Gorilla Brain Dyke or Gorilla Boss Dyke? Gorilla Boss Dyke. Oh, okay. All it's right. his brain in the gorilla right, body. Exactly. But no longer. Was now right it's now. his brain in a giant green alien Well, squid. see, that's it. He went from being the gorilla boss to the giant green alien squid boss. That guy, wow. I mean, he's leveling up. He is. As, as he flies away through the fortress, instead of smashing through the fortress wall, he uh, 
somehow phases through it because a character, you can't see who it is, is he's from inside the fortress and we're looking from outside, says, it's oozing right through the solid rock as if it were a sponge. How does that work? <laughs> Seriously, I'm very let's, impressed. Let's not think about that. As it flies away over the, the sea, it turns the sea pale because it turns out this green alien squid is stealing all the chlorophyll from the world and is going to kill every living thing. Chapter 3. Old gangsters never die. <laughs> Holy shit! I think that's an Alan Moore song. That would be amazing if Alan Moore actually like ripped off his entire musical career. I mean, admittedly, the, the song doesn't have much to do with this story, but this story doesn't have much to do with sense, so I'm really I'm able to do it. It turn it turns out that Superman deducts using I guess his super brain, who the fuck knows? Probably the same way he deducted from watching Batman look at a jar that Batman was going to fly to the Fortress of Solitude to join throw a brain into his disintegration pit. Well, he works it nonetheless. Yeah. That the alien the the brain has somehow bonded in the disintegration pit with leftovers from various space junk and dangerous compounds thrown into the pit, right. which also includes kryptonite, uh-huh. which is what's powering it. And now it's flying through the air, and uh, only Superman can stop it, even though it's partially made of kryptonite. I'm going to skip like pages ahead, because there's basically lots of fight sequences where Superman, having dropped Batman off with a park ranger, which I love... <laughs> Has, has a fight with this alien for three pages. Right. It then turns, it goes to South Central America. Of course. Why? Because it's, because it's a Bob Haney comic. I was, exactly what I was going to say. Bob Haney's fixation on South Central America is astounding. It's astounding. But do you know who's in South Central America? Because this story has two more twists to go. Oh my god, I can't even imagine it. Do you know who's in there? The surgeon who put uh, George Dyke's brain in a gorilla in the first place. Oh, man. Who was already plotted with the giant squids. What? So when Batman tracks down the surgeon and goes to confront him, he's knocked out by the surgeon's girlfriend because the squid wants to put his brain, remember the brain that is in the giant squid, Yeah. into Batman's body. Of course he does. So he does. No. Takes place. No, that's what I love about me. Most other people would be like, oh, that's a cliffhanger. We're going to resolve this. No, just keeps on going. First, we remove the Batman's brain via modern laser surgery. Clean, neat, painless, says the surgeon. Sure enough, it works. Bruce Wayne in the next panel has all his hair, but the brain of George Dyke. Fantastic talk. I not only got a new body, but I got the best one in the world. The Mighty Mass Manhunters, he says. Where's Bruce Wayne's brain, do you think? Did they just throw it away? No! They fucking put it in the giant alien squid. They put it in the squid! Where am I? Blazes, what happened to me? It is two dot 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 me in bold question mark exclamation mark. (laughs) Superman then arrives, having got white kryptonite, which will depower the squid. Of course. And says, there, that thing was Dyke, now it's your turn to wilt. And the squid says, no, it's me, Batman, it's my brain inside here now. Dyke in Batman's body then comes out and says, Superman, here I am, that cunning criminal mind of Dyke will say anything to escape punishment. 
And then aliens arrive from outer space. What? Because of course they do. The aliens are there because, again, Superman has worked out via his amazing expositionary powers that the aliens <laughs> created the squid in the first place as a precursor to invading the planet because the aliens are allergic to chlorophyll. So if they send a squid there <laughs> to get rid of all the chlorophyll, then they can invade Earth. Well, I gotta admit, it the aliens makes have a right not to invade Earth because they're upset that the squid, who was George Dyke, who they were talking to, they were the disembodied voice, the brain was... <sighs> it's all coming has, together. The squid has reneged on their deal by putting his brain inside Batman, and they're pissed off. So they come down to say, Superman, he really did. We have video of the brain surgery. They convinced Superman. <laughs> Superman's like, oh, okay, wait. I'm going to use my own super surgery performing skills to no. swap their brain. Get out, back. Graham. Get the yes, fuck out. Yes, he does. Using his own fabulous medical skills, and it literally shows Superman holding a napkin up to Bruce Wayne's head and a scalpel. With the caption that says, Superman became a licensed doctor in Lois Lane issue 12. Oh my god, it's in continuity even. there, it cuts to Superman talking to the aliens, and the aliens are like, well, you're much better than us, we're not going to invade Earth anymore, and flies away. Batman then gets up. It's ever Superman say, Doc Willard, he's gone. And so is Dyke's brain. Batman says, bad news. Who knows to what end, sinister end, will he use that brain again? And Willard saw my real face. Question is, did he recognize Bruce Wayne? Only time and fate will answer that, says Superman, as the story finishes. Holy shit. Oh my god. That's, that is amazing. It's as if, you know how they have those, um, you know, they used to have the Silver Age stories written by basically the editor coming up with elements and thinking of what would sell and then coming up with a cover and giving it to the writer and the writer had to come up with a story around it. It's almost as if Bob Haney was given like six covers in a row and essentially told to write. Uh, can you, yeah, can you put all this in 20 pages? <laughs> yeah, exactly. He, he was like, I've, this is my, my grand world's finest palooza that was going to be a monstrous epic, you know, six issues. Here's each of the covers, each more brain blowing than the last. And, uh, the people are like, yeah, great. Uh, can you do it in 20 pages? He's like, oh yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No worries. Got it. Done and done. Good Christ. Graham, that 20 is. 20 pages. Wow. People got this for a dollar in whatever year this came out in, uh, 1978. Yeah, it is worth and that, it. That's, on, that's only like a quarter of the issue, Jeff. Exactly. I was you, th say. you then get Green Arrow, Creeper, Black Canary, and Wonder Woman. Yes. Yeah, all, and all new stories is the other thing, which I want to All of it, all of it is all new, yeah. Yeah, because that, that was... By, by Steve Dicko. Oh, wow, really? That's fabulous. That that does not surprise me, but that is also nonetheless fabulous. Oh yeah, that's right. Actually, I think I remember looking at the creeper omnibus. There was only one, I think, right? And uh, and looking at the back and being like, oh, there's a lot of this stuff that ended up in 
Special Issues of the World's Finest. For people who uh, remember me ranting on and on and on about my uh, childhood without end, I love the um, 100-page giants that DC used to put out back in the earlier 70s. That had one original story and then a bunch of reprints, I guess, when they moved in the late 70s to trying to, to branch out and do the dollar comics. They made it all original content, which is kind of interesting, but... Sadly, right? yeah, yeah. So, but Jeff, all original content, and that is the lead story. Well, see, that's it. I mean, I'm sure any anyone who plunked down their dollar was like, "Why? Well, I, I cannot read any of the rest of these stories because it's not." Yeah, I, I'm coming. I'm coming for the Haney. Also, I've got to tell you, finding out that Haney, Tusca, and Coletta were the lead team on this book, you better bet your ass I'm going to be looking for issues of packages oh, of this in the bins now. Oh my god. See, this is the problem. I'm down with two-thirds, but I still can't... Like, I've come so far on so many artists, but Vince Coletta is the one that I think I've actively moved backwards on. He does not. I think you were, I was saying like, oh yeah, Frank Springer and Vince Coletta, and you're like, you're gonna love Dazzler the motion picture, and yeah, that's totally my, like, I can't. Oh, it's 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 the very worst. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's it, Coletta is such a terrible inker. Yeah, it, it's really, it's not his, it's amazing that he really does manage to, to smooth over everyone else's idiosyncrasies and yet also com- manages to so completely rush through his jobs. Well, he smooths over everyone's inconsistencies by just not drawing it. Well, but I mean like... <laughs> it's not even smoothing over. He's like, oh, that looks complicated. What if I just pretend it's a wall? Well, no, exactly. Let me draw a drape on that window and that'll solve a whole bunch of problems. But but no, but I mean like, you know how like... uh I think you posted something on on the Wait What Tumblr, in fact, which was like Lois Lane, like, you know, like doing her mmm, like having a happy yes. dream or whatever. And yes. it's, and and it's and Coletta it's, Inky. Not who was that? Yeah. And, and it totally tells. I feel like Coletta is one of those dudes I can just about recognize his inks on site, no matter who he's on, which is mm-hmm. fascinating. He's got... Yeah. A style. He's, he's got a super thin line, which yeah. is how I always. Well, notice. yeah, exactly. It's it's like the shit almost does not reproduce. It's on the on the page. It's like, you know, maybe that's his trick to be like, oh, I can blame the printer because everything looks. It just looks like it was drawn with like a pencil. He didn't bother to sharpen. You know, it's just. <laughs> it's but Jeff. I ever like I actually had to read that story twice because I was like seriously I must have blacked out like I honestly <laughs> ended I was like but where's the March seventeenth bit There's no way he put that in for no reason No he totally did yeah, He totally did That's a stunner That is a stunner There's so much in there I mean honestly I that everything about that but between... we we have said in the past that. Wait What is the podcast about Steve Englehart and Jack Kirby. I'm saying Bob Haney completes that trilogy. Oh, I think so, too. I think so, too. I adore... I really do. I adore his work. But this, even by Haney standards, is like... uh, The fact that it's Haney, Tusca, and Vince Coletta, everything about this story suggests that they were called and offered work, but they had to turn it around in a weekend. Like, everything about this story... No, they were the regular team. Well, no, I know. I know. I've got, got, got issue 252, and they're also on issue 252. Oh my god! What the hell is happening? Cause seriously, everything about that was literally like, 
you know, you, you've got an hour to write it. You, you've got three <laughs> hours to draw it. You, Vince Coletta, you're going to have so, 28 somehow, hours. Yeah, somehow, to somehow we have missed the fact that we'd have no bad Mansur Mansur for World's Finest and it goes to press on Monday. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Everything about this rings like that. Absolutely. Or maybe it was just that idea of because it's an, you know, an 80 page giant of original material for a dollar, like DC did the math and basically told everyone, Hey, do you want to work for one twentieth of your regular wages? And everyone <laughs> exactly. was like, Hey, yeah. Like, well, Penny, you're like, you're probably, let's be honest, somewhere in South America right now. <laughs> right. Uh, South Central America. Not- yeah. But that's got to be why all the stories end up there, right? Like he had a vacation home. I I think so. I think so. Right? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Vacation yeah, home. Yeah, he's, he's down there, and and they call him up, and they're like, "Listen, Bob, we'll I have you know, fuck, we'll send you some hashish. Just just fucking write a copy." There, he's like, "Okay, yeah, completely, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah." I, I'm into this. Yep. Yeah, but yeah. you better bet your ass I'm going to look for a back issues of World's Finest now, because how great was that? That I really did. I want to just be like, Jeff, I want to just like send you every, I want to scan every page of this comic and just yeah, send it. No you. kidding. No kidding. Well, the thing that's fascinating is I do remember, of course, his Super Sons stuff, his Brave and the Bold stuff. Like, I remember work that he's done for World's Finest. And one of the things I always admire is, is that Haney has, usually has a pretty good grip on the nightmarish. You know what I mean? And, like his work really does is like it's crude but he know he knows what what he's punching for and this really does kind of seem like i don't know like honestly if bob haney had said that he wrote that story after falling down a flight of stairs i would totally <laughs> i can't tell you how much i would believe it cuz i'm i'm no you know bob haney of uh I was going to say phobic. I am now, but no, you know, it's like I, I'm not a file. I, I gotta, guess I've got to be honest. I never knew that Bob Haney wrote Superman, and now I wish someone had just been like, "Hey, do you want to take over Action Comics forever, Bob Haney?" Well, it's true. He's. I mean, the story. It's seven. It this. It's printed in 1978. It was. It's written in 1962. It is right? so Silver Age for those characters. In a way, oh, it's is. so good. It's, it's so good. Actually, the, everything about this world's finest issue is weirdly dated. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got that story, the creeper story, being Ditko, right? Feels like it could have come out of like anywhere between like 1967 and 1970. Yeah. Um, the Wonder Woman story, I might be wrong, but I think it might be Wonder Woman of Earth too. Oh, interesting. That would almost make sense. That, that or it's an oddly dated Wonder Woman story. Well, it's also Wonder, uh, Wonder Woman versus Poison Ivy, of all people. Huh, that's weird. Who's the Who's the art team on it? Uh, the art team on it is Rick Estrada and Jack Abel. Oh, interesting. Okay, because there was definitely a period, you know, after the success of the Wonder Woman TV show, where they rolled back the Wonder Woman stories to tell. World War Two stuff. So, yeah. Um, um, it, and also, and the the Green Arrow Black Canary stories are a weird crossover. First of all, mm. um, and Black Canary is Jerry Conway, Trevor Von Eden, and Vince Coletta. Holy shit, Trevor Von Eden, early work. That's yep. super early work for him. And but get, get this, Green Arrow is Green Arrow and Speedy. Mm-hmm. It's it's the return of Speedy. 
Um, and it's Jerry Conway, Jerry Bingham, and Bob Layton. Ooh, interesting. Bingham and Layton. I, you know, I'd be into that. That would definitely. I bet that. I bet that's got some pretty interesting cross hatching going on at various points. Yeah. Surprisingly, not really. It's weird, it's weirdly clean. Huh. Um. The 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 most interesting cross hatching actually is Oliver Queen's vest at one point. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I guess that's a gimme. Oh no, Leighton must have. Also, you know what's hilarious? Hmm. I was I was going to joke that Speedy has a weird disguise where he has black hair and a goatee, and I've just realized now someone has just drawn that on to every appearance of Speedy. What? Wait, you mean really? When you like, say like like wh- whoever owned this comic before me? Oh my God, Graham, that's amazing! <laughs> I I am actually going to have to scan this. Somebody <laughs> flipped the fuck out and redrew every appearance of Speedy in the comic, yes. like literally yes, drew but, over, like consistently. Only, yeah, but only when he's Speedy. When he's Roy Harper, he still has the red hair. But when he's Speedy, they've given him okay. Black come on, hair now I think you're starting to fuck with me. Like I, you totally I, have to scan this and give me proof because that's. Oh my god! I'm going to take a photograph right now and send it to you. Oh my Except god! I, I'm completely serious. I god. just, I can't, I can't even, uh, I can't even process that. Holy shit! <laughs> it's really amazing. Wow. It's bit blurry. I'm gonna to have to apologize for this, but I am sending it to you right now. Okay, wait. How are you sending it via phone or uh, via the email? Via via um, the Skypes, oh, or God. maybe because I can't even with new Skype, I can't even get to the thing. Man, new Skype's gonna oh, pain. Man, ass. yeah, I'm gonna send it to you by email because new God. Skype is the shit out of me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, man. I'm waiting. I'm eagerly waiting with anticipation. I'm waiting. Of course, Gmail's a big bag of crap. Uh, hey, Graham McMillan, can, can, can we, um, uh, I want to talk about some more modern comics, cause I actually did manage to read a few, even though it's been, uh, I've been absurdly overworked, and there's, there's been barely any time since the last episode we recorded. You, really Emma, has, yeah. You have to tell me, have the, has this email arrived yet, cause I want your reaction. Yeah, on, yeah. No, no, no. I, I know, I will. I will make sure that it's on air, but no, it has not arrived yet. I've got, I've got it open just so that I can check. I, I am genuinely giddy to hear your reactions. <laughs> <laughs> and also, you'll see it, you'll be like, I can't believe you didn't notice immediately that someone had just drawn that on. That <laughs> is kind of genius. That's the part that I'm so excited by, that you were kind of like, wait a minute, that you actually supposedly discovered like, that on air. I, I, I honestly was like, I didn't know this Speedy ever had the goatee and black hair. Okay, here that's it is. Not, that's okay. the weirdest way. Right. In, oh, no way! <laughs> Do you they see? do that on every one of them? Yes! Oh my god! Wow! Somebody it's amazing! Somebody oh. really wants Speedy to have a very particular look. Seriously, it's a little like it's it's well done, but it is a little creepy in a way. Um, right? It's yeah. so weird. Yeah. Anyway. Let's talk about more modern comics, Jeff. Yes. So, Graham, listen, you, yes. Matt Turrell, did a wonderful little uh, mini roundtable, which is to say you did a roundtable, but I'm going to, um, you know, 
you're gonna make it a little leather. bit since you're I didn't involved. participate. That's fine. Yeah. You were invited. I know, I know, Graham. I'm a complex person. And it turns out you even read the comics. You just didn't want to take part. No, 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 no. I did not read the comics because you guys, you're Mister. Like, oh, look what the DC press pack sent me. Oh, I know, so terrible. Oh. It's like I did not read Batman 36 until Wednesday morning. Whereas you guys had the fucking round table up, you know, by Tuesday night or something like that. So, oh God, I don't, I didn't realize it was Tuesday night. I thought it was Wednesday, but yeah. Maybe we, we fin- yeah, we, we finished it Tuesday afternoon. Yeah. And, and Matt, Matt being Matt was like, I'm going to get it up. Yep. He did. So you guys yeah. basically, you know, so yeah. So all of which is to say, it's like you guys had a round table. I had not participated because I did not get the motherfucking comics. But then I was like, oh, interesting. And it was hard for me because I, I wanted to read. I hadn't realized that, uh, Priest uh, was writing Justice League. And I'm like, oh shit. Got to pick that up. And I wanted to read the round table to hear what you guys had to say about it, especially since you guys are such priest heads, uh, which sounds like a humanoids comic. And, uh, but I was like, Oh shit, I can't read, I can't read the Batman issue until the Batman stuff until they've read Batman. But of course me being so harried at work and not really tracking, I read most of your guys comments on Batman. So a, you do a fabulous absolutely fabulous imitation of Jeff Loeb's writing on <laughs> Superman Batman. You're in the round table. You are dead on. On the other hand, Tom King's imitation is not so good. Uh, Batman 36 was really interesting to me. And for people who are worried that this is, you know, morphing into, um, you know, we originally known as Wait What for the first episode 36 of Jeff hates King's Batman. Yeah, episode 36 of Nobody Loves Batman the way Jeff loves Batman. I I think that actually I was kind of like uh, I loved the conversations with the couples. It, I thought mm-hmm. that was great, and I loved the idea behind it, but it was kind of badly paced. I really thought that it was, by the time I got to the end of it, I was like, huh. Like, I enjoyed the the talking and the conversing and the way that King sets up the parallels. When you get to the split panel, what what um, Matt calls the formalist stuff, it really is like bad Jeff Loeb, Superman, Batman, which in its way is almost charming. But but how do I put it? As one of the things that I think is worth pointing out is what your amazing imitation also pretty much throws a chunk of that stuff against one like pinup page or maybe a dual split, you know, pinup page. King's pacing in that issue was really a little off, which is to say, but weirdly enough, also is one of the more enjoyable issues of Batman. I'm kind of, I'm down, for those who are wondering, down with the issue, I really liked King's take on Superman. I was like, man. I really liked King's take on Superman, specifically his relationship with Lois. Exactly. Exactly. I kind of had this thing of like, you know what, if there's ever been a, you know, you and I have complained before about how much it seems that comic book writers and editors don't really seem to get the idea behind a married superhero and what that can really bring to a comic. Like he, like King, King really does get it. The stuff that's interesting in Mr. Miracle, but 
Mr. Miracle is it's sort of its own unique context. Like it, it's not, he, King's doing a lot of stuff to keep us, um, off our toes and, and maybe getting ready to, to, to rip the carpet out from under us. I don't know. But here where it's somewhat safe to assume that he's not going to be playing any heavy duty shenanigans. The the next issue is not going to be Lois dying. Yeah. Well, Lois dying or Lois being a sleeper agent from dark side designed to, to break Superman or anything like that. Like it's, it's very much a, it's, it's a, it's, that part was great. All that part, the the twin conversations, the way they were talking about things. I had a little bit of a problem, though, with the pacing in the sense that they had the things of them being like, it was kind of a week later and it being like, have you talked to him yet? And I'm like, okay, all right. The first time was okay, four or five pages into it. It was either too much like real life or not enough like real life. <laughs> you know what I mean? Whereas I, I thought it was very like real life and I appreciated it. Yeah, I get it. I'm just much more forgiving to King than you are, though. I think that, I think that is true, but like, even... I, I honestly think it's one of these like cases where like you'll be like, oh, King killed someone with an accident and I'd be like, yeah, but he did it in a really interesting way. Yeah, that's true. That, and that would yeah. be, and I'd be like, yeah, that's the problem, Graham. It was too interesting. <laughs> if you're gonna kill someone, <laughs> no, no, with an no, axe... no, no, no. You'd be like, it's really derivative though, and I didn't quite buy it. Yeah. Like by the, the well, by it. the third stroke, yeah. I I thought I I you know well, I just didn't... yeah I'd be like, clearly King is not killing someone out of an act of passion. This is this is King <laughs> is axe murdering someone with just a little too much uh, calculation. And I say I that just, as someone who I, likes I just, formalistic yeah, murders. I, yeah, I just didn't buy that he was really killing him. Yep. Yep. <laughs> You are absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Oh, man. But no, I, I, I really like the issue, as I said, in the, the round table. Um, you said you didn't finish the, the priest Justice League, right? No, I did start it. And I gotta say, I'm also, and this is where you and I would also really get thrown, but didn't Pete, is Pete Woods like dramatically changed his style? Cause, this looks since when I don't know, like <laughs> probably since he was doing action comics with like Jeff Johns, like a decade oh, ago oh, or something. Yes. Okay. So yeah, like his his is drastically different. Yeah. Well, yeah, I was looking at it, being like, this is is this? Do I have like the same Pete Woods? Uh, and and I, I gotta say, not really into it. You guys, you and Matt, were both into it, and I at some point I will get further into the issue but the art i thought i thought the coloring actually was was really lovely but there was something which is also woods strangely oh was that was that it well woods does the full the full art oh you're right it's art and it's in color. coloring as well yeah okay well the i i'm down with the coloring i think the rest of it is weirdly video game cut sceney in a way that i'm not into which I have to say, if there's if there's a character that sounds like the new member of um, the Spider-Man villains, the Enforcer, it would be video game Cutscene. Uh, <laughs> uh, oh no! 
as long as I'm like shitting on things that everyone else liked, because that's apparently all I'm good for. Uh, John Wick number one uh, looked lovely. I was, and I was actually surprised by how excited I was to pick it up. And uh, I saw a few good reviews online, and I was like, uh, you know, part of me was like. Pack manages to catch the relatively terse uh, dialogue of John Wick. And, uh, don't get me wrong. The John Wick movies are really great little pieces that have nothing really, almost nothing to do with anything like dialogue or anything that's almost replicatable. It's like you've got Keanu, you've got amazing uh, scenes, and by the end of the second movie, you realize you've got some really fucking weird world building going on in the John Wick movies. And uh, I, I, this, this, I thought this was done pretty poorly for the most point. You know, there were bits and pieces where I was like, oh yeah, they're, they've got, they've, you know, it's dutiful, but man, I did, I thought it was really poorly done. Oh boy. Anyway, not my cuppa. Um, one of the things that I did not mention from weeks and weeks ago, sadly, I'm not bringing it up to crap on it, but, um, are, are you sure? Cause it feels like you're crapping on everything. I know. I know. That's why I'm kind of like, quick, Jeff, find something else that you meant to talk about without, without, without the crapping. Uh, where is it? It was the first issue of Fence, which came out from Boombox. Oh, I've, I've, I've heard very good things about that. Are you about to say something terrible? No, no. I'm, I was down with it. Uh, Fence is, it's by Boombox by C.S. Picot and illustrated by Joanna the Mad. It is super, super sports manga influenced and, and works great as a first chapter for that, honestly. I thought it did set up everything that it needed to do and then came across with, you know, um, the little, the little twist and hook and then an additional twist and hook. Really a lot of, a lot of work put into that. Um, kind of dug it. And I think I might have mentioned, I don't think I mentioned, but I did pick up Ninja K issue Uno. Um, since oh, I, that, that just arrived in the mail for me today. Really? Issue, the first one by Christos Gage and yeah. Tomas Giorello? Yeah. Interesting. I would have thought you would have gotten that intro. I have to say, Tomas Giorello's art looks astoundingly to me like Carrie Nord's stuff. Like, I was... That, that was true when he did, um, Exo Manoir, though, too. Oh, okay. He, well, that could he's, be. He's, he's got a very similar, um, I'm trying to think of a good way of saying cartoony without being cartooniness. Um, they, they have a very similar, mm-hmm. uh, exaggeration. Yeah, there, there's a certain amount of exaggeration and a real, um, strange, you know, a lot of what it is is that they, the, the way that they blur the, um, they'll put like really weirdly detailed backgrounds and then kind of leave a real openness in the pencils in the foregrounds which gives it a really unique look it also has that weird like some of the stuff has that uh remember the first couple of comics they used to do that that i don't remember it was dc or wherever but it was like oh we're just going to photograph the the or maybe it was marvel we're just going to photograph the pencil art and then we're going to color on top of it and skip the editor or the the inker it it really has that feel for me um, and Ninja K, this is literally my first Ninja K comic. 
And the idea that someone was audacious enough to do, I mean, assuming that this is the traditional hook of the character, uh, basically, what if James Bond was a ninja is so... Oh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's been the character all along. Which, I mean, that is kind of genius in its brazenness, you know what I mean? That really... Well, what's worth pointing out is the Ninja K name mm-hmm. is relatively recent. He was outright Ninjack for the longest time. Uh, and then uh Matt Kent who wrote the last run. Right. Like put in the Ninja K thing as as new backstory because it allowed him to go, Oh, ninjas A through J have been fucked up. Right, exactly. And and this first issue, I guess you haven't read it, really heavily plays a lot of background of like, oh, here's you know, huge chunk of the story is either is Ninja A or Ninja B or I don't know, whatever the hell it is. And at the end, it's like, I think it's like, oh, they're, they've got to team up in order to be able to take out the, the bad guys who have them on the run or whatever. Uh, which, is that it? Or is it, or is it? <laughs> you're like, I don't even know. No, I mean, I really don't. You're, it's, you're, you're the one who tried it. <laughs> yeah. No, I know. I know. I was like, oh, they're going to team up. And then I'm like, oh, no, wait. It, that's what it is. It's like Ninja D and Ninja K is like Ninja D is like, no, 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 no. You don't know how deep this goes. And then um I think he tries to shoot Ninja K. And literally, it's it's like your Bob Haney comic. He shoots Ninja K and then everything blows up. And then at the end, uh somebody's dead like i think i think ninja k survives but it's it's that part is a little inauspicious but the first issue is interesting in the sense that there is so much world building going on and then it keeps looping around to so and in the present day ninja k who's james bond but also ninja and it's just like (laughs) oh my god also he's called colin which for some reason I find the funniest thing even more than Ninja K. Oh, that's that's true. The whole Colin part is pretty pretty ridiculous. So yeah, it, it's honestly like someone was like, "We need a British name, right. Colin." Okay, Colin, will do. It was like the name of the dog on Spaced. Perfect. So yeah, I yeah yeah yeah. It's. I I sort of adored the brazenness of that, and that really did have that moment of like, oh god, maybe I really should dig into some of this stuff, like you know, dig into some of the older valiants, because if that's how ridiculous their stuff was, like, oh, the is... Ninjak is is Ninjak, especially the Mike Kent run, is absolutely nuts, because at some point Mike Kent was like, you know, what would be really great if I established that. My secret British secret agent ninja hates the supernatural and yet keeps being sent in supernatural mission. <laughs> right. Okay. So it's like you have to go into the underworld, and he's like, "I fucking hate the underworld." Me. Yeah. yeah so that... I have the underworld with my <laughs> underworld's like armor. <laughs> oh, sweet Jesus! I, I, uh, I, I really am. Uh... Yeah, that's not my thing. Whereas, like. Whereas there was just something, cause I really do have that thing of like, there's just enough vestiges of Jim Shooter and the idea that, that you've got a ninja who's James Bond. You know what I mean? Cause it seems so redundant. Like, it's like, what the hell can a ninja do or James Bond do that the other can't? And of course, the shooter answer is, well, pff, duh, he can have sex with women. 
like flagrantly. <laughs> and it's like, oh, right. It's genius. And so j- just the idea of, I always love that idea that like ninjas are like the best at anything and everything, which again, perfect description of James Bond. And so just the idea that like, honestly, I want to see the issues where he like gets like the special, like obsessed with the motocross bike or you know what i mean or like the skateboard or just just go full on fucking ninja poochie with it and because that is that is genius i've got to dig up like i think i probably have access probably through that's the great thing about having comiXology unlimited is i think i have access to like nine hundred and seventy five thousand old issues of ninjack and i will i will have to have to check them out um also, I want to mention Rock Candy Mountain, issue six, which also came out. It was actually kind of a big week for comics for me in that sense of like, I was like, oh shit, I've got like my regular s- digital sub poll list was like five comics and then I threw on a couple of others. But issue six, which is the, I want to say the penultimate issue of Rock uh, Candy Mountain by Carl Starks, but in fact, there's, my understanding is, is it's the, the, it, the last two issues are going to be a, um, it's a two part finale. And, uh, oh. I, man, I really do love this book. It's just done so well. Starks' stuff is just great. And it's, it's for me, part of me is I really hope that he was able to do everything that he wanted to do in it because it's just, I mean, he's, Starks is really interesting because he has that, like, he's clearly making stuff that's got a lot of laughs and a lot of goof goofiness in it, but he also spends, like, a lot of time thinking about his action scenes and how to make his action scenes pep and zip, and and I've really enjoyed how much Rock Candy Mountain has a number of... Like, oh, okay, I'm putting the hero in, like, a shit situation where his one special magic power isn't going to work. How's he going to get out of it? And it's, and it's really, it's, it's so funny because it is so, um, I don't know, it feels like it should be kind of the, the sort of kind of ironic smug crap that, that I would kind of not be down with, but it's clear that he puts so much effort into it that it's it's like truly it's truly a, a labor of love and he takes it he takes it serious he takes it he takes his jokes seriously i guess is the way yeah. to put it so to bring this back to something we were talking about before uh did you read kyle stark's patreon post about process and pitching i did part of it i read i read the part where he talks about the whole pitch that he put together but i didn't jump over and and check out the the sample pitch that he said that he was it's, told to work like it's a fascinating thing and the sample pitch is really fascinating too mm-hmm. um but it's it's it, just because you said you know um i feel that he really thinks through this stuff mm-hmm. and i i think that that post shows how much he does mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know that even, even when he's thinking about the pitching He's very aware of what his story needs to do, but also his process. The yes. point where he's, he essentially is like, you know, I can't write a beat by beat outline yeah. because I have to improvise. Yep. Yeah. You know, that, that was really interesting to me because I think there's a lot of writers for whom that's true, but they don't know it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, I'll write it out. And I can't remember who said this, but someone once, 
it might even be Russell Davis, actually, the, the Doctor Who writer in his book about writing, mm. where he essentially argues against writing uh, a beat by beat because he's like, you've written it then. Yeah. Yeah, like yeah, you yeah. can't, you can't write it again. Yeah, like it, it's you've already done it. Yeah, yep, yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Gone. Yep, it, it's it's the worst. Uh, the the one of the one of the few scripts that I sold. Um, basically, they went from well, we like the pitch, break down a beat by beat, and I started doing it, and I just went fuck it, and I ended up writing the whole script. It was literally easier at that point and it was kind of weird because at that point i was like i just wrote the script can i give it to you and they were like yeah yeah wait wait what you know it was very much this idea of like we're not paying you for the script we didn't say to go ahead and write the script i'm like no no that's fine i just couldn't do the beat process and then they were like oh yeah this is fine you know but it is it's the beat by beat thing i get why it's important for the editors but i think just from a pure writing process especially where comics is concerned i don't think it's a good idea so it was fascinating seeing that starks has been through it enough to say like this is not how i work and i really like the what he his I thought it was very sensible that he was like, yeah, two of the editors were on board and one editor still wanted to see the beat by beat. And he put like, and I suspect the third editor is the guy who's never read a Kyle Starks comic, you know? So, yeah. But no, it, it, it was a really interesting post. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm a process wonk anyway, but there's something really interesting mm-hmm. about reading a process post where the person essentially says, my process is improvisation. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly, which you're like, which sounds like uh, it wouldn't necessarily be considered a process, but but it is absolutely. No, but also way. sounds mm-hmm. like um, an excuse, if that makes sense. Right. But for people for whom it's true, it's yeah. clearly true. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like I didn't, I didn't read that being like, oh, he just didn't want to write a pitch. No, like, no. He's very clearly, it was like aware enough of what works for him mm-hmm. that he's like. If I thought I could do this, I would do it, but I know I can't. Well, and the thing that is interesting is, for me, when I read Kyle Stark's comics, I do they feel improv-y. They do yes. take weird... They, they feel very much of the, of the moment. Yeah. They don't, like, yeah. you know, this is an intricate plan that I sat down and, and you know, did a page-by-page breakdown right. seven months ago. Yeah. It feels very much like, this is fun and this is what I think is fun right now. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. What happens if this happens and this happens and then I had that one guy say that and then suddenly the next guy says that and then pretty soon they're all arguing and it distracts from the one point. Yeah, no, it's, it, it's, it's, it, you know, maybe if I was reading his stuff and it, and it read more like, um, oh, I don't know, Garth Ennis's stuff, I'd be like, mm, I don't know if this is really true, but, but yeah, for Starks, it really does. It felt, it did feel true. And, um, Star- Starks is also such an interesting creator for me because his, in part because of his improvisational nature, but his stuff has such momentum behind it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like yes. it's not something, even with his longer works, it's not something you feel like I can put this down and come back to it. Yeah. Like you really get cut up and you're like, I'm just going to keep going until I'm done. Yeah, exactly. No, it's true. It's, it, it's one of the things that's great about his, it was, it's what snagged me so much about Sex Castle. Um, yeah, still, still has that momentum. Really uh, excellently done in Kill Them All, even though I didn't enjoy it as much. And the and Rock County Mountain is wonderful because it really each issue. I was worried about that because of because of that, but each issue has felt like really incredibly satisfying comics. 
So it's just, it's been one of those comics that I've enjoyed the, the most in 2017, which come to think of it, I should write that down in case it comes handy later on. So, <laughs> um, he's, he's a writer. I'm super interested to see where he goes next. Yeah. Me too. You know what I mean, especially cause he's doing like Rick and Morty and he's, he did, uh, Dead of, Dead of Winter. Is that what it's called? Uh, Dead yes. Of Night? Dead, Dead of Winter. I, I think it is Dead of Winter. And I, and I sort of, I knew he was doing Rick and Morty and have not checked in on that, which is a shame because I'm now a Rick and Morty addict and would like to go back and pick those up. Uh, but, um, but yeah, and Dead of Winter, the stuff that I've seen though, I'm re- super kicking myself on in that I was like, oh, I would have loved reading this at the time. I just didn't know that it was out. Why wasn't I tracking this? So. But, but, you know, I, as he, as he moves, I don't want to say into like licensed work or into like, you know, Mainstream comics, whatever you call it, but as as he, I guess, moves outside of his comfort zone, mm-hmm. I'm really interested to see where he goes next and what happens to his work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, because that's that always seems the point where you feel like creators are going to not just sink or swim, but like those that swim really fucking blossom. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. when they're like, I'm really good at doing this thing that I do, but I want to try something else. Yeah. And so I'm doing something that is not what I normally do. And there's so many times that people who can make it work, like just you're like, I did not think they had it in them. This mm-hmm. is amazing. And I and I think he's going to be one of those people. I think he's going to be one of those people who is self-aware enough mm-hmm. and aware of all the tropes enough. They, they, you could give him like, uh, you know, name a Marvel comic. Yeah. And he would do like the best version of it because he so he's able to juggle what he brings with – essentially what a fan would expect from that comic. Yeah, exactly. He is, he's very much currently in that very successful, uh, a very successful iteration of a fan, uh, of a guy who is enough of a fan to, to know what to give you, but not, but not chained to it, that, that, that that's all he's going to give you. So yeah, I know, I totally know what you mean. So... So yes, Kyle, Kyle Starks 2018. Yeah, absolutely. Co-signed. Um, so w- was there anything else that you got to check out? I mean, it's unfair considering well, you're we, Actually, you know summer. what I read this week? I read something this week that I liked a lot that I've said publicly that I'm really looking forward to, but I can't tell anyone that I've read it. Okay. Oh, you know, we should mention is, um, cause I realized we didn't talk about this. Two things. I don't think we talked about it and I meant to. Uh, oh, three things. That's it. Thank God. I kept thinking okay. like, there's something that I was like going to tell you that I, I finished, um, uh, Graham knows this, but of course other people, uh, don't is that Graham got me for my birthday a couple of, of excellent little books. One of which was, um, be pure, be vigilant, behave oh, 2000 yes. AD and judge Dredd, the secret history by Pat Mills. <laughs> Before you go any further, something else I read this week and you've only just reminded me, the 2080 Christmas special uh-huh. has a six-page final story, mm-hmm. which is Star-Lord. What happens to the fictional editor of the 2080 companion title from the 70s that only lasted for 22 weeks? Oh. And it's batshit insane. And it's so batshit insane that I wonder if the credited writer... Who is Kenneth? Someone is a pseudonym for Al Ewing. I, I bet it is, it is. because it's, it's drawn by Henry Flint. Mm, okay, 
Okay. Uh, and it, it really, like, if someone said, oh, this is actually a prologue for the next series of Zombo, I would completely believe you. Wow. Because the, the conceit is, Star-Lord, as a, a fictional editor, was training up, um, like, you could join, like, the Star-Lord Corps or something. Right. That was the gimmick, right? And it was because it was 1978 or something, it was launched, it's like, you could be in the Skateboard Corps, or you can be in the blah, blah, blah. And the gimmick is Star-Lord was brainwashing uh, human children to fight aliens. And they're still brainwashed now. Oh and God. it ends with Star-Lord, like Star-Lord's been put in prison because of this, because he's an evil bastard. And it ends with him escaping and being like, I'm coming to get you all. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking amazing. That is genius. That is genius. Wow. That... That's terrific. I would, I would love to, uh, I would love to check that out. Love yeah, it's out. so good. But it really is one of those things where you're like, is this actually Al Ewing? Right. Like, it just, it's just, at the end especially, is literally Star Lord just like staring at the reader. <laughs> being like, I'm coming to get you. And I was like, if this isn't Al Ewing, like someone, they found another Al Ewing. Which is, which is terrifying to consider. Terrifying to consider. So, well, so I wanted to roll it back a little bit. This is in that what you, what you mentioned is genius, but not as germane as I would like. It's not, well, Pat Mills also writes a bunch of this issue. He does ABC Warriors and Invasions back as well. Savage is back. Oh, great. Yeah, that would have, that would have helped, Graham. I think you buried the lead as far as helping me out. I I don't like Pat Mills. I was like, eh, those are stories. <laughs> so you never liked Pat Mills? I don't think I've ever really enjoyed. That's not true. I enjoyed the, the first series of Third World War and Crisis, and I think that's the most I've ever enjoyed Pat Mills. Interesting, interesting. So yeah, he's, he's never he's never rung my bell. Amazing. Well, because it's fascinating. Because of course you're a 2000 AD dude, and the interesting thing about 2000 AD and Judge Dredd: The Secret History is well, there's it's there's a lot of interesting things about it <laughs> honestly one is it's it's mills writing a book that is so clearly only going to be read by the faithful that it makes absolutely no sense to anyone else it has so little context it is somewhere between getting a uh reading a blog a very long blog post from pat mills to Actually getting a letter from Pat Mills if you were, uh, one of Pat Mills, um, relatively close former friends from whom he is about to borrow money. So it, <laughs> it, 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 well, that's kind of what he's doing. Well, and it is, it is. I, part of me is as someone who spent a certain amount of time like trying and not succeeding, uh, to, to, to master the strange world that is, uh, Kindle book sales. It's clear that Mills is giving it a go and is doing all the, the, um, I feel like he read the same, like, how to, you know, how to be a million seller on Amazon Kindle, you know, in terms of, his the the book is littered with what's great is is there's um is it is at the end in particular it's it's a come to my website and sign up and I'll send you a to, for my mailing list and I'll send you a free uh deleted chapter 
that is, you know, the salacious story of what happened at, I don't remember, Creator. Oh my god, did you sign up? Did you get the salacious chapter? No, I did not get the salacious chapter. I did not oh, get God. it. I would literally would drop everything I was doing to sign up for that mailing list for the Salacious Chapter. <laughs> Let's see. There you go. Maybe I'll sign up so that it can get mailed to you. Uh, but, uh, you know, and then Don't more... you fucking sign me up to buy mail mailing list. Oh, come on. No. Wow. That's, that's kind of harsh. No. Oh, my God. Well, anyway, so, uh... And also in the, in the back, it's kind of like, hey, why don't you give this book a review on Amazon? Like Amazon, a good, bad, you know, and it's like, why not tell a friend? Like a lot of the extended, like, if you really like this book, there's a way that you can make sure there's more of them sort of deal. Which is not surprising because again, in the weird, like, not giving you enough context at all, Mills is writing a, a, a piece that sort of runs the gamut from parts that I adore which is him talking about the uh, the launching of 2000 AD and and what I I my favorite part Mills talking about process and talking about his rules for what makes good comics um which was which again is like kind of brings me back to the the essentials of creating manga book that you know, that I was so excited about a few months ago. And of course was literally on my bookshelf until about three weeks ago. And I removed it. I keep looking up there so that I can thoroughly remember the name instead of just mumbling my way through it. Uh, Mills spent some, a lot of time, well, not enough time, but he starts off, I think very strongly talking about the importance of time to create a good concept. Uh, the fact, I think I t- this is something that I know that I told you in the email that Mills considers himself a girls comic writer, first and foremost, that was successful in girls comics. And part of his drive in 2000 AD was to bring in uh, essentially girls comic, the, the hooks of girls comics into action stories to try and make them, um, basically be huge successes. Uh, I think I told, the other thing that I think I told you is, is that, that Mills is either Mark Miller totally read a lot of Pat Mills and, and Miller's casual, um, blog posting style is identical to Pat Mills or God help me Pat Mills looked at Mark Miller Mark Miller as a successful you know celebrity uh writer and mimicked the style but the amount of crossover of so humble braggy chattiness is is unbelievable like he'll humble brag then double down on the bragging, then double down on the humility, and in the space but of a short period of time. Well, yeah. Here's a question. Mm-hmm. Shit. Damn it. Graham? Yes? You totally, all of a sudden, you, <clears throat> you popped. You said, here's the question, and then, and then I got a, your connection is poor. And I thought you just dropped, but you just disappeared. No, I'm, I heard you the whole time. Oh, okay. Shit. Okay. Well, sorry. I think your connection is poor, Jeff. I I'll say it again. Is. Uh, here's the question. Is that not true of every British comic writer that isn't Neil Gaiman? Do they not all have the like humble brag thing? 
Well, no, 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 no. Well, no, no, I, no. I kind of feel like I I know what you're saying, but just when you're describing it that way, I'm like, yeah, but that feels like you know I've read interviews with like Peter Milligan and Jer- Grant Morrison and 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 so many writers of that of a certain era, I should say. Like I wouldn't say that you know, right. uh, Rob Williams or Cy Spurrier or, or right. uh, you know, uh, Al Ewing or or many of today's writers. Yeah. From Britain do that. There's definitely, I feel, a generation where that is the default. It could be. And it also comes, interestingly enough, I, I see a lot of it in Alan Moore's public facing presentations and statements from the, like, Captain Britain era through Watchmen, which is where I think the root is. Uh, it's, uh, it's possible. I gotta admit, as someone who vaguely, you know, used to read a ton of more interviews from that period, um, I, I feel like it's a little bit different. Uh, on the one hand, I feel that more, interestingly enough, was a lot more arrogant in his, in his early interviews, uh, in some ways. Not, not arrogant, but I think, but, uh, a mix you of, can say arrogance. well, I know, I know, I'm like, I'm playing for my crowd. Uh, he's, you know, like very, very much a process junkie. And there's a lot of arrogance in the sense of like, how do I put it? He's got a lot of arrogance in his process. Let's put it that way. I, sure. Yeah. I, uh, the thing that, that just sort of squicks me out is that, no, no. Every, everyone, I see what you're saying, and and there's a lot of people in that band of the of the humble braggy, but um, Mills and Miller do it in in a way that just strikes me as re- remarkably similar. You know, um, can you hear me? Okay, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Okay, because Skype's being all like, "Oh, it's a poor network connection. I- you're fucking up." So. Um, I I can hear you fine. Don't worry. Okay, terrific. Uh, I I feel there's just I don't know how to. It's like I spent a lot of time being like, what is it? And I think part of it is the idea that both Miller and Mills will write things. You know, part of it is is that they they really. It's it's that weird. Um, I think even Morrison, who does his humble braggy thing, has a self-awareness about it. Miller and Mills are so blatantly manipulative in what they're trying to do <laughs> that they don't, for whatever reason, they can't pay enough attention to the fact that what they're saying two paragraphs later is completely contradictory to what they're saying you know, at the, at the beginning, there's a stage where Mills talks about the fact that he hates superheroes and he's so glad that he never wrote them and then goes on to talk about working for the Marvel 2099 books and falling asleep during one of the creator summits. And it's like, you did this thing and and so he does he does it's this weird like oh yeah no i did it but i didn't really do it you know in a way that isn't yeah. expressly I did it, but clear. I, I thought it was funny 
Right. Well, there's, there's that. There's a, there's a shit ton of that. So, so the strongest stuff is, is Mills, um, it, it basically, I wish I had a pie chart because the part that I enjoyed the most is a small part of the pie, which is how were these characters created? How do I remember it happening? Then there's, uh, 10% that's closely adjoined to that, which is, this is, you know, readers of my series available on the Kindle serial killer will no doubt <laughs> notice, you know, resemblances between the scene that I've just described and what happens to Danny in chapter five of book one. But it's really very different. Um, another impressively 20 to 25 percent is wow. gunning for the... um the guys who were running British comics into the ground and the editors of 2000 AD during its dark age that ran the comics into the ground with up to maybe 3% of that being dedicated to bitching about David Bishop um, specifically by name. And then what was the rest of it? Oh, Talking, uh, and the, maybe the 5% next to that is singing the praises of Rebellion and Matt Smith for getting it right, even though, which is great because you're wondering to what extent, um, basically Mills is like, yeah, it's great, although Matt Smith insists on maintaining a, like, no personal contact with any of the creators. Like, it's just strictly, and he says, like, I don't care because, you know, hey, I'm, I'm the sort of guy that, like, Smith knows his, knows good storytelling. He's a strong editor in his own right, and he's really made the, the comic fun again, and it's an amazing, remarkable achievement, and he deserves all the credit in the world, which I think is both gracious and entirely correct, but it is great the extent to which he's like, but he, he always keeps you at arm's length. There's no personal interaction. There's no like come together and get down and have a party, which is not the way that we did it back when it was the rock and roll of comics. And that's the other part of the pie chart. At least 5% is the rock and roll of comics, like talking about comics and rock and roll and how much he appreciates working for the French because the French are totally, um, you know, totally understand what it's like to celebrate the creator. Uh, and you know, the one time where like his French publisher encouraged him to take money out of the petty cash so that he could get a hotel room to have a weekend with the attractive goth artist that he, that Bat Mills had just met, which is, I'm just like, sadly, that story doesn't go beyond those sentences because you both do and do not emphatically do not want more details. Um, Another 10% oh, no. goes on to <laughs> basically creators' rights and how people should be restituted for their, um, creators should be restituted for creations and how the British comics publishers don't t treat, uh, creators' right. Uh, 2% is talking about how he and other creators actually saw more money, uh, from the first Judge Dredd movie than the second Judge Dredd movie. Uh, kind of interesting, a split opinion about how, how much, um, Mills actually thinks that the two Judge Dread movies each capture different aspects of Dread with the second movie being more of, uh, 
John Wagner's view of dread mm-hmm. and that, that although it was good and clearly successful and the fans preferred it, Mills thinks that there was a lot to be said for the first movie that captures the aspects of dread that he likes, which isn't necessarily Wagner's mm-hmm. aspects. Um, it's really kind of an interesting little uh, rundown for, uh, but it sounds exhausting, Jeff. It is exhausting. I don't know how. Wait, does he have page numbers? I'm sure he does. The problem with these Kindle only books is they're like, oh, it's at page, you know, location three thirty eight twenty seven. Yeah, and it does. It's you actually thing. how long the book is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, it's like three thousand six hundred and fifty-four sections. You know, of which a section is like I don't know, a fucking paragraph or something like that. But um, yeah, no, it just goes on and on and on. It really is like reading a compressed. It's like it again. Part of why it reminds me of Mark Miller's uh, uh blog post is it's it's exhausting digressive and unfocused with an underlying razor sharp focus at the bottom, which is always be selling. Uh, and that's kind of, kind of a shame, but it is, it's, if, if you want to hear, I appreciate appreciate that. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. If you, if people who like Mills want to hear Mills, um, try and settle some scores and tell some entertaining stories while doing it, it's 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 good. It's kind of interesting. His whole like there's a whole chapter on why he called Judge Dread Joe, like why he gave him the first name of Joe, um, which is uh, a strong hook and maybe a weak story after it, which I fully expect you to swoop <laughs> in, Graham. No, no, no. I, I'm actually really curious. Like, yeah, well, uh, I'll, I'll tell you some other time. I'll tell you some other time. I don't, I don't, I don't want to. Oh, Yeah. Okay. Here's the question: Would you, would you recommend? Sorry, what's that, Graham? Damn, this damn connection's cutting out. Would you recommend it to me? I think that you would find it exhausting. I think it's one of those things where I mean, because I kind of did too. But whereas, let's say that I enjoyed three quarters of it, I think that you would maybe enjoy a solid third of it. Like a third of it you'd be really into, and then the rest of it you would be pretty met about. You know? Because yeah. on I the wall... Wo- I, I, I've got that. Like, I'd be really curious about it. But I think everything you're saying is like my worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, exactly. And in fact, saying it, I mean, the plus side is, is I think that you, um, you would know more of the figures involved. So some of, uh, Mills's score settling, I think would probably be interesting to you. But one of the things that I think is kind of a lost opportunity is how much Mills buries, like starts off like he's going to be talking process and really kind of uses it for some, what what sounds like it's going to be uh, gossip, but really just ends up being score settling. So, well, I, I will be buying it. I will be asking you very intense for all the details afterwards. You have to remind me though. Um, Two thousand D's shop right now mm-hmm. has an astoundingly good sale on. Oh, um, the not it, it's it's a relatively limited selection. Mm-hmm. But uh, a lot of books are half price or less. Wow, really? Uh, 
Yeah, and that counts for digital as well. Mm-hmm. So, for example, I the Harlem Heroes Inferno for four ninety nine. Holy shit! Really? Oh my god! Yeah, and you can get both Robo Hunter collections collections for four ninety nine, but the Dread Pro books uh-huh. that they've been doing, they've done year one and year two. The anthologies of those are ninety nine cents. Wow! Holy shit! Huh? Um, I I think I really like Dread books. Mm-hmm. Uh, get Dread Year One anthology, Year Two anthology, cents each. You can get the Anderson Year One anthology, ninety-nine cents, and you can get the spin-off uh, Rico Dread for ninety-nine cents as well. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, and those are they're light and throwaway, but like for ninety-nine cents, they're hey Graham. Hey. Sorry. I'm so sorry about that. You you were coming in so poor and so distantly that I decided to close my web browsers. You just hang out. Hang up on me without telling me. I quit Skype on you. I literally quit <laughs> Skype in you. Yeah. So. Oh my god. Sorry. Well, so what's weird? Where was I? Uh, the Rico Dread spinoff books were 99 cents, and then there was something yeah. right past that. Yeah, I, I, I'm saying um, they're super light reads, but for 99 cents, they're definitely worth it. Mm. Like, I, I can't, like, it's such a good deal. If you, like me, enjoy fast, pulpy reads, mm-hmm. and you're curious and least about Dread, they're definitely worth 99 cents. Okay. Well, I, I, I will, A, keep that in mind, by which I will say I will punt the whatnots. Because I picked up the... I picked the Judge Dredd Year One omnibus up, and I think I told you I tried four fucking times. I had, I made it farther into uh, James Joyce's Ulysses than I did into. <laughs> I was, you didn't. So did you? Didn't just skip to the the Aluin book? No, no. I felt like that was cheating, so I was just going to. Oh no, at you it. totally can. There's no, there's no real continuity between them. Just feels free to skip to the end, especially because that ties in with Inferno. Oh really? Yeah. Interesting. Wow. Because Harlem Heroes and Inferno are taking place in the same universe as, as Dread. Yes, yeah. I remember that supposed it's supposed to be the case. So And so it posts it's based around what happened after Inferno the series uh essentially killed the Inferno sport. Wow. So yeah, it it's super fun. Go back to it and just read the other book at the end. Nothing else. Okay. Will do. Graham, I have bad news. Yeah. yeah. Are we are wrapping it up? I think so. The The connection is so bad. We've, we're close enough to two hours that I feel comfortable calling it, and it really is. You you are sounding worse, which is not... It's not what has happened to your internet? You sound fine. It is. I gotta admit, Skype's telling me that my network connection is poor, but I don't have any way to resolve it. I would have to run down to to Edie's office it, and try and reboot I, shit, I, and you know. Nope. I'm. I'm. Yeah. We'll call it. But yeah. you wouldn't have fucking internet. Um. What notes? This is where I say that there will be show notes up for this episode at waitwhatpodcast.com. Uh. There will be content up, pretty seasonal probably, at waitwhatpod.tumblr.com. 
between Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. There will be uh, occasional posts, perhaps, on the Twitter, which is at Wait What Podcasts. Jeff is on Twitter solo at Lazy Bastard at L A Z Y B A S T I D. I'm on Twitter solo at Graham M at G R A E M E M. And we are a Patreon supporter podcast, which you know because we've already talked about it. That is at <laughs> patreon.com forward slash wait what podcast. Yes. Do you want to, do you want to uh, talk about Empress Audrey and the American Ninth Art Studios? Because we really have pretty much talked about Patreon, so I feel you don't have to introduce it. But yeah, yeah. It's true. Out. Yeah. But I, but I do feel like, yes, at the very least, we do need to give that shout out because, uh, as, as I said, we really are. We're grateful to all of our listeners. We're grateful to all of our supporters on Patreon, but we really do want to give out the shout out to the American Ninth Art Studios and, uh, Empress Audrey, uh, Queen of the Galaxy for their continuing support of the podcast. Um, they are really wonderful and we are, um, deeply in their debt. We will be back in two weeks for the final episode of the year, kinda. Uh, uh, but we'll also be talking about our favorite comic of the year because we have not managed to do that this episode. Because I'll be honest, I forgot this was the last proper way one of the year. You weren't the only it's one. My yeah, play, but yeah, but you you were like, give me ten minutes, I can put the list together, and that's not true for me. Well. Because, so Graham, yeah. yeah. No, 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 no. You are the problem, uh, child. Yeah. There will be a uh, back to building in two weeks. There will also be a mini cast around two weeks as well. Yeah. Uh, where we talk about favorite comics in the year. Otherwise, friends, whatnots, countrymen, also not countrymen, because it's the internet and everyone can hear it. Uh, thank you very much for listening. And bye! <sighs> God bless you, Grandma. God bless you. God bless us, everyone.